Storm Bowling Products, the bowler's company, presents the Collegiate Spotlight with Coach K. Storm's technical director, Steve Klimkin, also known as Coach K, and Above180.com's Tim Berg are going to introduce you to a variety of collegiate players, coaches, and key people involved in promoting the sport of bowling. Now here's Coach K and Tim Berg. Joining us today on the Storm Collegiate Spotlight is Dr. Dean Hinnant. Dr. Dean is author of the book, Focused on Bowling. For more on Dr. Dean, check out his website, www.drhinnant.com. That's www.drhinnit.com. Dr. Dean, I want to thank you for joining myself and Coach K today. Thanks for having me back. I uh, just appreciate having a chance to talk to you guys. Well, we thought it'd be great to bring you on because one of the things when we, me, myself, and Coach K, we'll talk to the collegiate players and coaches, and one of the things when we bring up the mental game is they always say, well, I have my kids read Dr. Dean's book focused on bowling. So we thought, why not go to the author of the book and talk about just uh, some of the mental game and the mental aspects of kids? So I guess my first question is, uh, Dr. Dean, what is the biggest mental roadblock that most bowlers face when they're going from high school to college? I think that what happens, uh, there's probably about three different things that occur. One is uh, uh, at a purely, I guess you'd say physical level, but it's all physical and mental, is the difficulty of some of the playing conditions in college are really stepped up. We get, uh, in my experience, we get high school kids who come up, they've been used to scoring, they've been used to being the best kid in their Saturday morning bowl and, and all of that, and they come into a college environment and two things are happening. One is, they're playing with a lot of other spectacular kids. And, you know, we go to some of these tournaments and where they used to average 215, 220, 225 at home. If you're averaging 195 on some of these conditions, you're still playing a real good game. And uh, adjusting to the kind of shot-making that has to occur and uh, adjusting to being, a, you know, much more uh, Olympic level of play, so to speak, that everybody everybody can play and you're you're out there with a lot of national team members and that sort of thing and so it's a shift of you know the gearing in terms of what you have to bring the level you have to perform to and who you're out there with yeah one of the uh, dr dean one of the uh one of the things that i felt um, you know going back to going back to the college bowling days is uh is kind of exactly what you had mentioned which is you know it used to be in kind of a big sort of a big fish in a little pond. And, uh, you know, if you're used to that kind of um, either focus or maybe even like the accolades, you know, as a as a junior bowler in your leagues and in your local youth tournament and then going to college, uh, a lot of times it seems like it's a real, you know, kind of an eye-opening experience. I think there's that. Now, some kids around the country, if you're, if you're up in northern Illinois or, or some of the, the big uh, – uh, high school bowling meccas in the country, you, you've, you've had some experience with team play. But for a lot of kids, the high, they may have played uh, high school, bowled for their high school team, but coming to a college team environment is, is a different animal again in terms of um, sort of the, the kinds of team play that are called for, what's demanded of you in terms of support, demanded of you in terms of shot recovery, so you don't go and you don't have the luxury of sort of playing bad and, and stepping out and moping or the luxury of saying it's it's good enough if I'm good enough. Um, and uh, <laughs> in, at the collegiate level, uh, sort of recognizing, at least with the best teams, every single thing I do matters. Not just physically, not just whether or not I'm filling my frames, whether or not I'm still attending, paying attention, watch, you know, watching, supporting, the whole thing. Um, 
at the at the highest level of collegiate bowling, I, I guess I'll reiterate, to recognize everything I'm doing matters on this team is a, a whole nother sort of big-time gear shift in terms of what mentally and physically a person has to bring. So what is one thing that we as parents can do to help prepare our high schoolers for bowling collegiately? To move into a college environment, to ask what, how can I prepare my kids, I, I, really the first thing is you have to ask your son or your daughter, in this case, if that, if that is the case, you know, what, what are you going to college bowling for? What do you want to learn? And, and many times you know, the first thought, of course, is, you know, I want to get better. I want to bowl for whatever team I'm, I'm going to bowl for. And they don't have an idea, like, do you understand what it's what it takes to bowl on team? Do you do you get the difference between just being good and being a great teammate? There's there's being a great bowler and there's being a great teammate. And if they they say, oh yeah, I get it, and you start to talk, have a conversation about what do you think those kinds of what do you think they're looking for? What do you think Wichita would look for if they wanted to bowl for them? Weber, Robert Morris, uh, uh, Vanderbilt, any of these any of these pro- I can name all the programs. What do you think they're looking for beyond just good bowling? And you have to get your child invested in, I want to develop those qualities. And some people are sort of natural team players, just like I guess some people are natural bowlers. But to really play team is still a learned skill, just like no matter how good your natural talent, your great bowling is a learned skill. And to start to identify, in fact, I've got in my next book, be coming out soon, um, there's a chapter in team play where we identify this is what this is what these coaches are looking for and this is what's demanded to succeed at these levels. Ah, so you have a new book coming out. What's the uh, what's the title of it? Do you have a title already? Well, the working title is the revised uh, is Focus for Bowling Second Edition, but uh, I'm not I'm not sure that'll be the final title. But uh, as I said, one of the chapters will be on team play, which is, I don't think has been really talked about much. Oh, really cool. Well, that sounds like a good resource because I know that there are, you know, there are many instances where, and you had just touched on it about where it seems like certain people are born just kind of natural team types of players. And there's lots of great bowlers. You know, we were just out at the, uh, at the Team USA trials, uh, recently in Vegas, um, just last month. And, you know, we noticed that there's, you know, there's a lot of people who are, I think, I don't know if it's personality or this is, this kind of leads into my question here is, uh, you know, what is it exactly that, that does make a good team player? Because it seems pretty easy to see from the concourse, you know, somebody that's really kind of into themselves, and then it's easy to see the difference between somebody who's really, you know, either encouraging or involved with the other people on their on their pair. Part of team being a team player, this will be kind of a nebulous answer, is, is an awareness of what's needed. And different things are needed at different times. You know, sometimes... Somebody's got to step up and, and say, okay, we got to, you know, we're going to charge this hill, and here we go, and there's a uh, more of a motivational style of leadership. Sometimes leadership, oddly enough, sometimes leadership is a second or third person who puts their shoulder behind something and says, I think this is a good idea, and we need to play it this way. And it's interesting. Teams sort of shift and move based on a, it's not just scoring momentum, but an interpersonal momentum. One person standing and saying, I think we've got to go, you know, we've got to move inside. We're going we're gonna to burn out a little bit different path here. We're going to burn, you know, we're, we're going to take and, and shift our shot. It's the second or third person who says, this is where we got to go that moves the team. And there's a recognition, A, of what, what's needed, B, how to be supportive or leading in the appropriate way. And there's different ways to lead. C, 
as I say, awareness. Sort of a bad team player, from my point of view, is one who's only aware of their own everything. Here's how I'm playing, or here's what, here's where my shot is. Here's whatever, whatever's mine. Uh, a great team player says, "What's what's wanted and needed here? Where are we? What's needed? How do we win this thing? How do we play better?" But it's always inclusive. Like, okay, I get who I'm playing with, and I get how we play. How would we do this? And sometimes it's physical. You know, turn we go outside, we go inside. Um, sometimes it's relational. Like you're down, or you, you know, best of three, best of five. We're down two games. Um, maybe we need to do a sort of re- press reset, take a fresh look at this, and sort of rally one another to do it. Sometimes it's it can be anything. It can be a hand on the shoulder. It can be observing that someone's got a hitch in their swing that they weren't aware of. But it's knowing here's where I am, here's where my teammates are, and here's what appears to be needed for us to go forward to the next place. So what is the makeup of a mentally tough co- collegiate team? What a great question. So we talk about mentally tough bowlers, but mentally tough teams, you know, the first word is going to be resilience. Um, just as an individual player rarely throws a closed 50, uh, a team about never does. I guess it could happen. I don't often see it. I don't know if I ever have. Um, and so the resilience to understand things are going to happen here. And and no matter what happens, I uh I think on the back of Wichita shirts one year, they, they had this slogan, I can handle anything. And I thought, if you know you can do this, if, if no matter what happens, we can get up bloody and bruised, it doesn't matter, and we're going to make a great next shot. The resilience to say no matter what's occurred, we're going to bring maximum effort, energy, and tension, and keep going would be almost by definition, whether it's a street fight or a bowling quote-unquote fight, knowing I'm getting off the mat, I'm resilient to anything, and we're still going to bring game. That would be one of the hallmarks of mental toughness. The second hallmark of mental toughness is to say, no matter what's happening around us or me, we're going to play and we're going to focus, we're going to concentrate. It doesn't matter if there's a jukebox, if uh, blaring, if, if other teams are chanting their, their anthems or their cheers or somebody from the bleacher seats is yelling that you're a bum. It's like the toughness to say, I know, I know where I am, I know what I'm doing, and everything else is just sort of the universe making noise. It doesn't matter. What's outside of me is just weather patterns, and I can bowl in any weather. Hey, Dr. Dean, I hear you are uh, you're heading down to Arlington, Texas, uh, the end of March here? Yes. It looks like there's going to be some type of uh, a coaches conference. What's, what's going on down there? Well, they've got, uh, I'm trying to think of the exact uh, name of it, the, the World Bowling Coaching Conference. At the, they're going to have the inaugural event here in, uh, in Arlington, Texas, and uh, be a truly international event. Uh, um, there'll be a look at coaching from all kinds of different angles. One of the things that I'll be carrying up with uh, Kim Terrell Kearney, and we're going to do a, a special uh, section on coaching women in particular. What is the major difference when it comes to coaching, in your opinion, a, a male versus a female bowler? I think what happens, uh, uh, there's a couple of things in terms of uh, styles of coaching, and, and some of these are going to be a little bit of generalities because uh, I don't want to typecast too much. I think when you're coaching women, a, a little differently than men, one of the things you have to do is you have to understand what they are experiencing uh, while they bowl. And whether it's mental, whether it's emotional, whether it's physical, as you're coaching, 
you can make an adjustment, make a suggestion in any of those veins, but you have to do the investigation on the backside and say, what did that feel like or what did that seem like that to you? My experience with women is if they think that you understand what they're experiencing, then they're open to the next coaching move. But if they think you really don't get it, you can be the most brilliant coach in the, in the world, top of the, you know, top name, top whatever. But if, if they don't feel understood, then their ability to sort of release and trust and make the move that's needed is a far less likely. By contrast, oftentimes when you're coaching men, if you have your sort of coaching chops and, uh, uh, they know who you are, you establish your credibility, you can sometimes lead just by giving your demand or command or suggestion and they'll go for it. As I say, for, with women, I think far more they want to know that you get what it's like to be them before they'll step into making that move. Hey, uh, one, of the, one of the things we've, you know, we've been experiencing uh, lately, I know you've, you've worked with so many different uh, top professional bowlers, you know, from Chris Barnes and so on and so on, um, one of the things we've seen that has just been coming up so much now is, is what's going on with Jason Belmonte? I mean, to completely dominate the sport. I mean, I'm looking back into time here thinking, like, when's the last time I've seen some kind of domination like this? And it almost takes me back to the Mark Roth days in the late 70s, you know, where somebody just is actually, you know, bowling at a level this much higher than everybody else around him. What do you, what do you see when you, when you watch him and you see him bowl? What, what goes through your mind from the sports psychologist perspective? Well, at this time, when I look at Jason, I, beyond all things, is a, a fundamental belief. This will sound easy when you throw an atom bomb like he throws, but what he has, other bowlers, like you say, we, other bowlers have had, and the, back when the women's tour was up and, and running and Carolyn won her, I think, seven titles, Carolyn Doran Ballard won seven titles in one year, which is, mm. which is phenomenal. Mm. It, was, it was an absolute clarity uh, of a couple of things. One is what I do will work. And I think it's important to, to sort of stack Carolyn against Jason in this case because they were doing similar things, but Carolyn didn't have all the revs in the world. She didn't have all that going on, but she had the clarity, as I say, complete self-confidence that what I'm doing is going to work. And you, any bowler listening to this knows the difference between how free they are when they when they know what they've got, like they've got it. I've got the line, I've got the ball, and my game's tuned up right now. This is going to work. How free your game is when you have that. And it's, it's almost a mathematical formula as we add units of self-doubt or questioning or anything like that. You can almost measure, uh, measure muscle tension increasing. And uh, you know, Jason, for all the ball he throws, he still does have to be free. He still has to cut it loose. He still has to do all the things that other bowlers have to do. He does it his way with his style. But he, in that moment, when, I'll back it up to one other player. I had a conversation with, with uh, Sean Rash, beginning of his player of the year year, and we were talking about who are the best players out in tour and like, who's got the best game. And it sounds, sounds sort of funny, and this may sound arrogant, I said, well, Sean, who, who do you think's got the, the best game out there right now? He says, he, he looks at me very clearly. He says, well, me. And uh, <laughs> we had kind of a chuckle. And but he wasn't like it wasn't a boast, and it wasn't. It was a clarity. Like right now, I'm I I do have it. And he did, and he went and like I say, he, he earned his Player of the Year honors. Um, 
not not long after having that conversation. And it's an interesting thing because much like fitness levels in the gym or anything else, once you have it, you don't have it. It has to be nursed and nurtured and recreated. It's, it's like a garden. Once you have your garden, you don't just have it. If you don't keep working on it, it doesn't stay replenished and rebloomed. Um, you know, Chris isn't the player of the year every year. Sean isn't. Jason won't be every year. Um, you know, he's, he's He's got this, he's got a phenomenal thing going right now, and it will have to be nursed and nurtured. But he also it's, has, it's almost, he has. Go ahead. Yeah, it almost reminds me of you know Bubba Watson in golf when he won the Masters in 2012, yeah. and then it was like it seemed to me at least from you know from just a, a fan's perspective that so much you know work and dedication, all this stuff was put into creating this you know this level, and he was kind of rising, rising, rising. He hit the pinnacle, and then literally nothing happened for the next 14 months, you know, and it's been a long climb back, and then he just finally won again just two weeks ago. It's a very uh, – I love your example, actually, and when he won the Masters, it was one of the most phenomenal things I think I've, I've seen. Mm. Um, uh, his winning shot is shot out of the trees. We don't need to, to go into that, but I thought, what would it take – it's funny, I was talking to somebody just yesterday about this. What it would take to stand there in golf at jail and say – I know exactly what I'm going to do, and I'm clear that it's going to work. He, he must have, because that's the only way it could have worked. Uh, even luck doesn't stretch that far. Um, I, I think Jason has that clarity uh, at this time, uh, and I've seen other players come and go, and I've seen um, sometimes the effects of success or other people's commentary or some. It's funny that. The world and the media and the competition environment itself has so many hidden ninjas that will pull you off of that sort of main street of success that uh, once somebody's there, you have to be sort of vigilant. Like, what are the... It's not the obvious things that pull people off. It's, it's oftentimes subtle distractions, subtle ego overinflation, um, subtle suggestions that can sort of creep into somebody's doubt pattern. And uh, yeah, the, the best players and the best teams have a vigilance about what are the things that might taste good. There might be a little bit of sugar in this moment that are going to kill us in terms of ultimate success, either individually or as a team. All right, Dr. D, my last uh, – I got a follow-up to that. Regarding Jason – Last week, he I think even by his own admission, he would you know, he would say that he probably didn't have his A game in quotation marks. But when a player is still able to win without having their A game, what does that do mentally? Whether that's you know Jason winning the USBC Masters to you know a, a local guy winning a local tournament where he wasn't you know wasn't feel like he was throwing the ball the best either, and, and he just was able to persevere through it. What does that do for us mentally? I would say it's a, a really critical concept and it's hard to understand that Jason's no longer proving that he's good enough. If you're proving you're not, you're not yet, you're not being. It's kind of like I don't want to say too much form because it's like I'm crawling inside of his head and he'll have to speak for this. My experience of him is this. Well, I can talk generally when we're talking about him on tour. There's a lot of guys who have, and you guys know this, have just flipping phenomenal talent, but they're, they're always proving. And as long as you're proving, the underbelly of proving is attention, self-doubt, and awareness of what people think. And that's what proving is, because I'm proving, I'm, I'm showing. 
But there's a point where that you transition into. Walter Ray clearly did this, where you go, I know what I am. And so if I have enough that day, I'm not proving anything. I'm already champion. And so it's not it's not surprising to me to bowl to win. I, I'm I already am that. Now I won't win every time, but I'm not I'm not becoming a champion. I already am one. And once you have that, you sort of don't have to have your five-star, all-A-everything-going game because you're not wasting any energy trying to impress people. That's a lot of great insight, Dr. Dean. We definitely appreciate it, and, and thank you very much, and uh, thanks for your time. And we'll definitely wish you the best with your, your new book, finishing that up, and maybe as soon as, that's, uh, as soon as that's published, we can get you back on and we can chat a little bit more. I would love to talk to you guys uh, <laughs> any time again, uh, particularly after that. And then, uh, uh, you know, I, I appreciate the chance to to sort of have coffee with you this morning. Thanks, you guys. All right, Dr. Dean, all the best of luck. And again, uh, check out Dr. Dean's website. His book is focused on bowling. His current book and his new book, like uh, Coach K was saying, we'll definitely have him back on then. So uh, all the best, Dr. Dean. We'll talk to you soon. All right, take care, you guys. Thanks.